Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. We're back with the final episode of our three-part series on planning for the future of your farm. So far, we've covered getting your family ready for transition and legal tools and issues. So check out those previous two episodes if you haven't yet. Today, we're back to discuss legal solutions for unique situations. This is really interesting, and I always enjoy this part of the planning for the future of your farm sessions. Uh, Robert Moore and Peggy Hall are here again with us. And before we get started, could you guys introduce yourselves briefly again? Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, so I've been in private practice for close to the last 20 years, working primarily with farmers and landowners throughout Ohio and have uh, just very recently uh, joined the agricultural law program and helping out with Peggy's program and uh, started out in extension a long time ago. So happy to be back and hopefully I can share some of my experience working uh, with farmers and landowners and, and helping more farmers uh, put together success, successful succession plans and helping with other legal issues they might have. Hi, yes, I'm Peggy Hall. I've been here at OSU for, oh, 20 some years now. I guess I'm losing track um, as the field specialist in agricultural and resource law, where I direct OSU Extension's agricultural and resource law program. And this is one of those areas of law that we've tried to put increasing emphasis on here recently. And happy to have Robert be joining us in that effort. Yes, and we are lucky to have both of you such an excellent resource for our farmers here in Ohio. Um, so probably one of the biggest, most popular concerns, I guess, among farm families is how do we keep farmland in the family? So Robert, do you want to address that and how you've seen um, that handled in estate plans? That's usually priority number one. Priority number one B might be transitioning a viable farming operation, but just about every farm family wants to protect the, the family land uh, and keep it available for future generations. So there are a number of tools we have that, that we can help with that and at least limit the risk of land being sold outside of the family or lost for whatever reason. One tool that we use quite a bit is using LLCs to hold family farmland. Um, We use this when maybe there's multiple family members that will be inheriting land. So let's say there's three children and they each get a third of the family farmland. The the issue with that is if, if they just inherit it outright and their three names go on the deed, If one of them wants to sell the land, if one of them gets uh, financial difficulties, lawsuit, divorce, whatever it is, any one of them can potentially force the sale of the the land. It's called partition. And uh, it's a significant risk to having family farmland owned by multiple family members. So to help limit that risk, Uh, what we do is we put the land in an LLC and then the three 
siblings will own the LLC together. And the LLC will have certain rules in it, but the big rule is that no one family member can force the sale of the land. That maybe it takes two thirds, or maybe it even takes unanimous consent to sell the farmland. So now if, if one of the siblings gets into financial difficulties or gets in the middle of a lawsuit, um, their difficulties will not affect the other, will, will not affect the ownership of the land because they can't force the sale of the land. The LLCs, a well-designed LLC is a really good way for multiple family members to own land together um, without risking the possibility of partition, which leads to potentially the involuntary loss of land outside of the family. So that's probably our number one tool uh, to protect farmland and farm succession plans. So another scenario that may come up is how to deal with farming versus non-farming heirs when you're talking about passing the business on. So this is usually the hardest decision for farm families to make. So maybe you've got one farming heir that, you know, has been on the farm for 20 years and helped build the farm. And then there's another farming heir that maybe went off and did their own thing and, and haven't really been involved in the farming much you know, since they left the farm to go off to college or whatever. And it's this whole equal versus equitable that I'm sure everybody has talked about. But how much more is a farming heir entitled to? And I wish I had a formula that I could answer that question with because I would be rich, because I could sell it to just about every farm family. But unfortunately, there isn't that kind of formula. So it, you know, like most legal issues, it depends on the situation. Uh, but a lot of times we discuss, well, how much value has the farming heir added to the farming operation? You know, what, what size of the farm is it today versus what would it be if that farming heir hadn't stuck around. And so that, that's one way we kind of start looking at it is, um, you know, what is the farming heir? Maybe a bit more. But also it comes down to practical application too. How much can the farming heir afford to pay the non-farming heir and have a viable operation? You know, with land being... Ten or twelve thousand dollars an acre, and or more in some places in Ohio. You know, if the farming heir has to buy out two other siblings at full price and has to buy two thirds of the land, is are we passing on a viable farming operation? There's a good chance we're not. So um, sometimes it also comes down to what can the farming heir afford to pay. Uh, and keep a viable farming operation going. So it's what, what does the farming heir deserve extra? What does the farming, what is the farming heir able to pay extra? 
And between those two uh, issues, hopefully we can come up with something that, you know, mom and dad are okay with. It's not always perfect. And many times it will change over time, but usually we can at least come up with something. And then it's maybe, you know, the farming heir can buy out the siblings and it's at a 25% discount and they have 10 years to pay for it. Um, There's all kinds of different ways we can make it cash flow and transfer that viable farming operation. But uh, the dealing with on-farm heirs and off-farm heirs is probably the number one challenge in farm succession planning. But the good thing is we do have a lot of tools, a lot of options, and um, you know, a lot of attorneys understand what, what those tools are. You just gotta find one that can kind of work with you on that, guide you through it, and find the plan that works best for you. And I think that the older generation also has a responsibility to lay the groundwork for expectations after they're gone. You know, if they are telling someone, you know, I want you to be able to take over the farm and, but they don't implement that, um, then they're setting up that person for disappointment after they're gone. And I guess also on the same side, maybe you set them up for success, but you don't share that with your other heirs. And then there can be a lot of hard feelings between the two groups um, because you didn't explain your reasoning there. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I can say just from my experience, yeah, just watching farm families go through this. Um, and and certainly those who come to our workshops and start to try to deal with these issues, um, and then those who are dealing with it. I've had many of those folks come to me trying to, you know, get some guidance on what do we do about this situation, and, and it, it's always so hard <laughs> to watch them go through that as they try to figure out how much information do they share, and I know Robert believes strongly that that's up to, that's up to the parents to decide you know, if they're going to share all of that. But there is that fear that not sharing it will end up causing that family a lot of problems. They're already dealing with the death of a parent. And then when you put the 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 responsibility for that farming operation on top of that, and everyone doesn't yet know what that is, and isn't, you know, they're not all on the same plan. I think that can cause a lot of family heartache and friction. And I've seen families um, fall apart at that point. And so I think it's an important question to ask, Amanda. Maybe for all families, it wouldn't work to lay it all out there. But I think in many situations, that kind of open communication that David talks about so much in his session that we teach is really important to making sure not just that the plan can work, but that the family um, can stay together after they go through all of this. Robert, you've probably seen some families really struggle with relationships in the midst of all this planning, true? Yes. And, you know, I'd say generally most families probably share the plan ahead of time just so there's no surprises. And, you know, maybe the children might 
have some different ideas that mom and dad hadn't thought of. But there are times when, for whatever reason, mom and dad do not want to share the plan. And sometimes I think that is the the best thing to do. Um, You know, if if they've got to make some hard decisions, you know, maybe there's a child that has spending difficulties and, you know, they've got to restrict that child's inheritance. But if that child finds out about it, you know, they're just going to be complaining to mom and dad for the rest of their lives. You know, that's a situation where maybe mom and dad just shouldn't tell them. Um, So, you know, it's, uh, it's mom and dad's call. You know, I tell our clients all the time, they're your assets. You get to do what you want. Uh, You get to decide who knows what. Uh, Generally, I think, you know, most people want to share that, but uh, there's definitely no obligation to do that. And sometimes it's, it's probably the right call to not share it. So earlier you guys mentioned that wills and trusts were options for having your plan moving forward. Could you take some time and explain what the difference is between those two things and when they're a good fit? What the will and trust have in common is their primary purpose is to identify what assets a person owns and who will receive those assets at that person's death. So they both have that in common. From there, they're very different documents. In the farm succession uh, strategies, generally a will is for more basic plans. So maybe if mom and dad have one child and that child is going to receive all of the assets then a will, a simple plan through a will may be all we need. So generally, wills are better for simpler plans. Wills are a simpler document. They cost less. So that's the advantage of a will. A trust, uh, we use trust a lot more as the plan gets more and more complex. So you know, let's use the example. We got three children. One's on farm. Two are off farm. Um, we're going to set up an LLC through the trust to hold family farmland. The farming heir gets to buy equipment and livestock from the non-farming heirs at a 25% discount and has 10 years to pay the non-farming heirs, you know, things like that. That's where we use a trust. Because um, a a will is administered through the probate court and probate courts tend to be more for people that have pretty basic standard assets, a house, car, bank account. Probate courts aren't always the best at dealing with complex plans like farm families. So what the trust allows us to do is add that complexity in because the trust does not involve the probate court. So um, by using the trust, by titling the assets to the trust, we avoid probate. We can add all these more complicated provisions such as buyouts, uh, financing, mortgages, long-term leases, 
and we don't burden the the uh, probate court with those provisions. Um, now, trusts are more complicated, so then the legal fees go up. So, you know, a, a will might be $500, $800, something like that. A trust-based plan might be $5,000. So a, a trust isn't just automatic for everybody because many people don't trust and shouldn't pay the extra cost of a trust. But for farm families who have more complex plans, then a trust is well worth the additional expense so that we can put those unique provisions in, avoid probate, and hopefully design and implement a successful farm succession planning. We're about out of time on this series. Um, is there anything that we haven't touched yet that you guys want to mention for our listeners? I think some farmers might be a little hesitant to start a succession plan because maybe they have an issue and they don't know how to address. And so they never get started. Um, as attorneys, we have tools. We, your situation, we have probably seen before. We've probably dealt with it before. So don't let your issues prevent you from starting in a, a succession plan. Uh, believe it or not, we probably have solutions for you. You just need to get to an attorney and start that process. Well, that is exactly what I was going to say, Robert. <laughs> We're thinking alike. Uh, in our workshops, I like to show this list of common mistakes that farmers make when transition planning. And number one is procrastination. Uh, and I do think Robert's right there that maybe they procrastinate because they just think there's there's not going to be a plan that works for their family or they don't want to they don't want to think through what that might be. But I have seen, I've watched attorneys like Robert just, you know, pull a plan together that does meet the needs of that farm family. And we do tend to be unique in agriculture. We do have unique needs like protecting the land. Um, but there are many other unique issues that come into a family situation and there are ways to deal with that. So that should help, uh, you know, balance out that procrastination problem that we see, just knowing that, that there are solutions out there. So again, you know, we're really grateful for the time you guys have spent talking to us. This three-part series has really just barely touched on all of the content that you guys cover in your workshops. Um, there is one more coming up on March 4th, and we'll have the details for that in the show notes. But even if you missed out on them this year, I encourage you to keep an eye on the farm office page and see when they're coming up next year, because it's a great bank of resources that this team provides. Outside of farm transition and succession planning, are there any resources that you'd like to share for our listeners to check out? Well, we always have new resources coming up on the ag law sections of our farm office website, farmoffice.osu.edu. And there are a number of those in the works. We will have these transition uh, materials available there on farm office. I've got um, right now an employment law guide that will be going up soon. We have a guide for dealing with conservation practices and carbon and those kinds of issues. 
coming up as well. So there's always something in the works here. And we tend to let people know about those through our Ag Law blog. So that's another resource to check out too. Well, thank you guys again. And listeners, I definitely hope you take action in planning for the future of your farm after hearing this podcast. So don't wait until it's too late, I guess. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.